The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Did you know that relaxation is all in your mind? That's right. By applying various techniques of mindfulness, you can practice relaxation anywhere and anytime, whether it's at home, work, or at play. Welcome to Come Back to Your Senses Radio with host Leah Brenda Smith. Our program is all about recovering your common sense. Now, here's health and wellness specialist Leah Brenda Smith. Hello, I am your host, Leah Brenda Smith. And you are listening to Come Back to Your Senses Radio. And a warm welcome goes out to the listeners from Voice America Variety and Project Freedom Radio Network. I really appreciate you tuning in each week to listen to the gentle conversation. And all of the previous shows are in the archives and available 24-7 through my host page at Voice America Variety in iTunes or through my website, www.comebacktoyoursenses.com. And I welcome you to leave me a message there if uh, you would like to do so. If you want to follow me on Facebook, you can look me up at Come Back to Your Senses Radio or Leah Brenda Smith. So today's show, episode 28, is on the diversity of friendship. Friendships and other supportive relationships, as we know, enhance many aspects of our life, of our physical life, of our mental health, and of our enjoyment. Sometimes we're fortunate to experience high-quality friendships, and these friendships seem to have good ways of resolving conflict in in an easy way, and that tends to lend to stronger and healthier relationships. You know, generally speaking, men and women tend to have the same number of friends. However, women are more likely to confide in their friendships, and guys just like to hang out with each other and share activities, do things together, and discuss practical things with one another. But when all is said and done, friendships are diverse and change over the course of our lifetime. I've remained consistent with my preference for one-on-one interactions throughout my life with my friends. And uh, unlike some people who enjoy a group of solid friends that tend to do a lot of things together. When I was younger, I was much more closely associated with my friends and seemed to want and need regular contact At that time, I had a lot of issues that I was constantly sifting through and sorting through related to early childhood abuse and addictions. So naturally, 
the closeness of loving friends for me was so supportive at that time and encouraging and comforting and also provided great company. For many years now, I've tended to float in and out of contact with my friends with warmth and flexibility and ease. Yet at the same time, I'm able to manage and maintain long-standing friendships with an extraordinary number of people. My friendships tend to be multifaceted, open, free-flowing, and layered with passion and deep intimacy. I notice as I mature and delve more deeply into my experiences of meditation, inner peace, art, and other healthy practices, that the time I may have once spent with friends or family, I'm spending with myself. But when I get together with my friends, it's very relaxed. The relationships have changed. The focus is no longer on issues. It's simply the enjoyment of being together or the mutual passion that we have for our increased sensitivity and interest in the gentle ways of spirit and conscious living. Ananas Nin, a French-Cuban author, said, Each friend represents a world within us, a worldly possibility not born until they arrive. And it's only by this meeting that a new world is born. Now, some people are natural loners and they're happy on their own. But most people depend greatly on the company of true friends. And as with any relationship, friendships bring support and joy and occasionally strife. I'm going to share with you here a um, anonymous piece of prose called A Good Friend. In kindergarten, your idea of a good friend was the person who let you have the red crayon when all that was left was the ugly black one. In primary school, your idea of a good friend was the person who went to the bathroom with you, held your hand as you walked through the scary halls, helped you stand up to the class bully, shared their lunch with you when you forgot yours on the bus, saved a seat in the back of the bus for you, and knew who had a crush on who and never understood why. In secondary school, your idea of a good friend was the person who let you copy their social studies homework, went to that cool party with you so you wouldn't wind up being the only freshie there, and didn't let you eat your lunch at home. Excuse me, didn't let you eat your lunch alone. In pre-university, your idea of a good friend was the person who gave you rides in their new car, convinced your parents that you shouldn't be grounded, 
consoled you when you broke up with Nick or Susan, found you a date to the prom, or went to the prom with you, both without dates, helped you pick a university, and assured you that when you got to that university, that things would be fine. They helped you deal with your parents, who were having a hard time letting you go. Now, on the threshold of adulthood, your idea of a good friend was the person who was there when you just couldn't deal with your parents. They assured you that now that you and Nick, or you or Nick or Susan, were back together, that you could make it through anything. They just silently hugged you as you looked through the blurried eyes at 18 years of memories and reassured you that you would make it in university as well as you had gotten through the past 18 years. And most importantly, they sent you off to university knowing that you were loved. Now, your idea of a good friend is still the person who gives you the better of two choices, holds your hand when you're scared, helps you fight off those who try to take advantage of you, thinks of you at times when you're not there, reminds you of what you've forgotten, helps you put the past behind you, but understands when you need to hold on to it just a little bit longer stays with you when you have the need of confidence, goes out of their way to make time for you, and helps you clear up your mistakes, helps you deal with pressure from others, and smiles for you when they are sad, helps you become a better person, and most importantly, loves you. That's a great bit of prose I found anonymously on the internet. I'd like to take you through some of the stages of developing friendships, beginning with the primary stages and following through into our golden years. So generally at the early school age years, friendships are based on sharing toys and objects and the enjoyment that's received per from performing activities together. Friendships at this age are maintained through affection, sharing, and creative play. Now, sharing is hard for children at this age, as they are so very self-oriented. However, children are likely to share more with someone they consider to be a friend than with someone who is just a peer. Now, as a child moves from early school age to middle childhood, they face the developmental task of friendship. At this stage in life, children become less individualized and are more aware of others. They begin to be able to see their friend's point of view and have fun playing in groups of peers who all have the same interests. And as children move through the middle childhood years, they have their first experiences of peer rejection. 
it's important to teach a child that it's natural to sometimes be accepted and other times not be accepted, but to remain open and positive about and with the friends they have. Establishing good friendships at a young age helps a child to be more user-friendly in society later on in their life. In one of the first studies that was conducted regarding children's friendships in 1974, Bigelow and La Gappa found that expectations of a best friend become increasingly complex as a child gets older. The study investigated the criteria of a best friend in a sample of 480 children between the ages of 6 and 14, their findings highlighted three stages of the development of expectations in friendship. The first stage emphasized shared activities and the importance of geographical closeness. The second stage emphasized sharing loyalty and commitment. The third stage revealed a growing importance of similar attitudes, values, and interests. It's interesting to note that some children speak about these issues with their parents, with peers, or with other adults in their life. Yet for other children, it's a, more of a natural internal selection process that's based more on feeling tones and energy and perhaps may not ever form into language within their own minds. There's a lot of differences in the way that children respond and react to that. As they do with other things, some are more verbal and outward and open and others are more internal and go more by their gut feelings and their energy tones of things. Now, as we move on, the development of friendship in adolescence includes positive influence on how they act, feel, and think. What is often seen as the more critical aspects of this stage of friendship development is the inevitability of negative peer pressure. And from a study by the National Longitudinal Study of Adolescent Health, there were 9,000 American adolescents examined to determine how their participation in problem behavior, you know, like stealing, fighting, sexual activity, truancy, smoking, and drugs, was related to the kinds of friends they had and to the peer networks in which these friendships were located. Findings revealed that adolescents were less likely to engage in problem behavior when their friends did well in school, participated in social activities, avoided drinking, and had good mental health. Thus, you know, whether adolescents were influenced by their friends to engage in problem behavior, depending on, really depended on how much they were exposed to other friends that participated in negative behavior, and whether or not their friendship groups fit in at school. And as we move into adulthood, 
just like adolescence. Relationships with friends are important to adults. And friends can contribute to your satisfaction and can help to increase your sense of belonging, your competence and self-worth. And most adult friendships involve enjoyment through spending time, doing things together, and sharing life experiences. Through trust, believing that your friends will act on your behalf, act in your best interest. Respect and understanding, believing that your friends have the right to their own opinions. Mutual assistance, helping and supporting your friends and having them help you. Confiding, sharing confidential matters with your friends. Now, friends are people we know and trust and who are special to us socially and emotionally. Friends are usually chosen from people who we consider to be the same as us. Generally speaking, the people adults select as friends tend to be those who they've grown up with, either from the same school or community, have similar occupations, have children the same age, have similar interests and hobbies, are the same age and often the same gender, or perhaps they participate in the same social groups or sports activities. Or the dog owners, they tend to meet friends when they're walking their dog in the park. The majority of adults have three or more close friends, and more than half of adults have ten or more close friends. Generally, men and women tend to have the same number of friends, although, as we said earlier, women tend to confide more in their friendships than men do. Now, adults also tend to make friends based on who their children are friends with. Many times, parents within a neighborhood are all friends because they're all around each other so much because of their children. And parents will also often make friends with other parents on their children's sports teams for the same reason. Now, not all adult acquaintances will end up in friend, the friendship stage, but it's likely that some will share commonalities and form deeper relationships. With life events such as marriage, parenthood, and accelerated career development, young adulthood merges into middle adulthood fairly quickly following marriage. And both men and women at that time report having fewer cross-gender friends. Now this might be due to suspicion and jealousy, or it may be that spouses just tend to spend more of their free time together rather than separately in social situations that might lead to opposite-sex friendship formation. Often when people do get married, they generally become more dependent on their spouses and less so on their friends for meeting their social needs. But keep in mind that this is just a generalization. 
really the reality of life is that individuals have a great propensity to seek out and find the types of friendships that will ultimately work best for them throughout the various stages of development and maturity within themselves. And I know anyone can really think about that, just the changes in your friendships throughout your life. And you'll see that there may be patterns, there may not be patterns. Things may just change for you as you flow, as you grow, as you develop, as your interests change, and as your needs change, that the friends you're drawn to or what you share with your friends can be quite different. Sometimes our friendships are uh, have a lot of levity and a lot of playfulness and a lot of laughter, sharing a lot of joy, and real uh, opportunities to, as adults, be playful. And other times our relationships, our friendships are more serious, helping and guiding us, supporting us through difficult times in our life. You know, the elderly, the emotional and social development in that late adult time is extremely important for the mental health for people that are aging. And friendships at this stage tend to dwindle rapidly because of disease or cognitive decline and even death. Many elderly say, all my friends are gone. But intimacy and companionship for elderlies is usually based on mutual interests, a sense of belonging, and the ability to express feelings and confide in each other. Acceptance is huge. You know, friends in later life tend to shield one another from the negative judgments about their capabilities and worth as individuals while they're aging. A link to the larger community for elders who can't go out is often important. Interactions with friends can keep them socially interactive. And then protection from the psychological consequences of loss. Because older adults in declining health They want to remain in contact with their friends, and when they do, it shows that they have improved psychological well-being than elders that don't have contact with friends. It's understandable that older adults would prefer familiar and established relationships over new ones, but friendship formation continues throughout the whole lifespan. And elders report that the friends that they feel closest to are few in in number and usually people that live in the same community. Elders tend to choose friends whose age, sex, race, ethnicity, and values are like their own. And compared with younger people, fewer elders report having relationships with um, the opposite sex. Often we see older women having more relationships, not necessarily intimate relationships, but people that they spend time with occasionally, like with groups, meeting for lunch, playing bridge, or going out and enjoying museums or the arts. And sometimes through these types of associations, elders can meet new people, which again increases their psychological well-being. We all know that friends are an invaluable part of our lives. They provide additional support network, 
and they help you get through challenges. And although it can be tough to maintain your friendships when you have a lot going on, the task doesn't have to feel impossible. I own a monk, a registered clinical counselor, who's also a couple therapist and founder of the Vancouver Couples Counseling, provided some insight into how we can really move with that, with a, with a busy life, how we can keep our friendships and maintain good contact. And she really suggests that we need to be flexible. We need to be open and knowing that our friendships change over time. And it's important to be flexible so we can change with them. It's important to feel securely attached to each other so that we can navigate through when we're changing. You know, marriage and babies and relocation, all these things affect our friendships. You're much more likely to have long-lasting friends if your friends have the ability to grow as people and accepting and embracing change in the process. Friendships really are fluid and they're ever-changing entities and it's important for us to be able to accept that. Sometimes there's conflict when one person in the friendship is changing and the other one wants them to stay the same. We need to stay committed. Commit to staying connected with your friends even when they're far apart. And if you're maintaining long-distance relationships, it helps if you share the details of your lives with each other so you feel that connection on a closer level. It's great with Skype and phone calls because we can really stay connected. We need to be patient with our friends. When a friend goes through a huge life change, we need to be patient. It may feel like there's no longer any space for your friendship and Certainly that can be difficult, but patience is the key. Communication. When conflict occurs between friends, communication is the only way to move past it in a healthy way. To be able to speak your mind and let your friends speak theirs. It's so important. I encourage you to stay cool and don't jump to conclusions by making assumptions about your friends that aren't true. For example, telling yourself that your friend doesn't really care about you. Better to calm down and then communicate with each other. Writing an email or a letter can help you express your feelings and maybe a good way to get it all out, but wait until you calm down. So remember, once you put something in writing and you press the send button, you can't take it back. So maintaining balance is so important. And it's healthy and beneficial for both of you. You have to find your balance within each of your friendships. Treat the friend's feelings with care the same way you want to be treated. And remember, your friend is human and will make mistakes, and so will you. So keep in mind that your love for each other is more important than the mistakes, and we'll make some room for the mistakes to happen. If we keep in mind that friendships are important to our lives. You know, we know they provide support and perspective and great camaraderie. 
It might seem hard to maintain relationships, but if we're patient, we have healthy communication and an open mind, then our friendships can thrive despite whatever the busyness is of our daily lives. There's lots certainly to be said for how friendships can help to promote good health. Conventional wisdom, really, it's that good friendships enhance your sense of happiness and overall well-being. And there have been studies done that support the idea that strong social supports improves a person's health and longevity. And it's also been shown that loneliness and a lack of social supports are certainly linked to an increased risk of heart disease, infections, cancer, and certainly a higher mortality rate. Some research even term friendship networks as behavioral vaccine because they protect both the physical and the mental health of a person. And there certainly are a number of theories that kind of link health to friendship and friendship to health. And these ideas are that good friends encourage their friends to lead more healthy lifestyles. They encourage their friends to seek help and access services when they need it. And good friends enhance their friends' coping skills in dealing with illness and other health problems. And that good friends can actually affect the physiological pathways that are protective of health. All through the ages, ancient philosophers and scientists agree that strong social ties are key to happiness. And people need close, long-term relationships. We need to be able to confide in each other and have a sense of belonging and have the opportunity to get support and also to give support. Generally speaking, the studies would indicate that most people have five or more friends with whom, when they discuss an important matter with, that they're much more likely to describe themselves as being very happy. And having strong relationships makes it far more likely that you'll experience joy in life. Close friendships can lengthen your life, boost your immune system, and really decrease the risk of depression. Sometimes you hear people say, I want to have a few close, real friends, not a bunch of superficial friends. Yet in some ways that's a bit of an odd statement because friendship is so diverse. We all have all kinds of friends that meet a wide range of our needs. They're intimate friends and casual friends. Work friends, who you probably don't see outside of work. Some people have childhood friends. Or friends that live all over the world that maybe you rarely see. Some people maintain friendships with people that they've dated. And it's not uncommon to have friends whose spouses you don't really know. A lot of people have online friends whom they never have met face-to-face. 
But these various friendships, they're not all of equal importance, yet they all add something to your life, and you add something to their life. Now, for some people, it can be challenging to make the first overtures of friendship. So here's a few tips just for getting the friendship ball rolling. Think. Think about what's fun for you. Now, people like to socialize in many different ways. Some people like to go out drinking on Friday night. Other people go to the movies. Some people like to stay home and just have a meal and talk. But if these things aren't fun for you, then suggest different plans. Take control of really creating your social environment. Sometimes people that are very social become exhausted by their desire to keep up with all their friends. Some less social people find it hard to get motivated to make plans at all. And some people would admit that they just don't have any social motivation and have no social ambition. So think about whatever level and type of social activity brings you happiness. And then make the effort to make that type of experience possible and available for you. It's good to not expect friendship to happen spontaneously. Just like many aspects of happiness, people often assume that friendship should flow easily and naturally, and that trying to work on it is, is well, it's really forced and inauthentic. But sometimes friendships do just happen naturally. They do just come out of the blue. You just meet someone and everything goes click, 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 and you sit and chat, chat, chat for hours. And there you have it, a new friend. And other times, it's not like that. And it takes some effort. It takes some focus. And those relationships are just different than the ones that click, click, click immediately. Another suggestion would be to join or to start a group because groups can help you maintain new friendships. Now, when you see a person once a month or every six weeks at a group, it gives you a good foundation for really keeping a friendship going. Meeting in a group can also be efficient because you can see a lot of people all at one time. And it means, too, that you're creating a social network and not just one-on-one friendships. But generally speaking, some people find it easier to maintain friendships with people if you have several friends in common. So, you know, we all have different needs, and at different times we have different needs. There's no one right way to do it. There's no one right way that your friend should be. It's really individual, and it's really um, very smart on your part to look out and to seek the kinds of friendships and relationships that are going to bring value and have the most meaning for you. Another suggestion would be that you could just make an effort to just say things like, this made me think of you. You know, we're all busy and it can be hard to keep in touch with uh, with a lot of people. 
But what you could do is just send an email from time to time saying that, oh, this made me think of you, when you know it's something that is interesting to your friend. Lately, I've been posting pictures um, of things that I know my friends are interested in on their Facebook page. It's just a way of making contact. And of course, there is social media, Facebook, Twitter, and other things. Some people think that one of the biggest obstacles really for keeping friendships is that, you know, we don't have the time. And it's easier to send an email. It takes time, you know, to make plans and to set things up, to send cards, to remember birthdays. And somehow social media seems to make all of this a little bit easier. And it gives you an opportunity, really, to stay in touch with a wider, much wider variety of friends. And other people might argue that technology gets in the way and hurts friendships because it encourages people to just interact over social media or technology and not actually get together. But if you don't have time to get together, then it certainly is great to use these different wonderful pieces of technology. this way it gives people the feeling that they're more up to date and they have a sense of connection with people that they mightn't have if they're trying to fit a lot of friendships into an already busy work life and home life and sometimes people have responsibilities for extended family members as well so their focus is really on the immediate things in their life and it's not that they're not interested in reaching out and enjoying their friends or making contact but they just don't have the time you know, even the closest friendships can fade into the background when you've got so much on the go. And sometimes people feel guilty for letting the relationships lapse. Because let's face it, you know, you, you lose out when you're not able to keep in touch with your close friends because of the benefits and the wonderful things that you share with each other. And Morton Mendelssohn, he's a professor at McGill University in the psychology department. He said there's a lot of benefits to keeping up with your pals. You know, those elements of stability and intimacy and emotional security, positive feelings, self-validation. And according to Mendelssohn, he says that when you lose contact with a friend you lose the benefits. So to make sure you don't miss out on the goodness of these people, he's suggesting some things you can do to keep your relationships, keep your friendships strong. Now the first one would be to speak up. You know, if your friend's chronically late for a coffee date, and so much so that even when they send an email, when they're making plans, you don't want to respond or reply to them, He says it's important, if you want to maintain the relationship, to just try and address the points of frustration rather than just, you know, letting them blow over. When something bothers you, talk about it. Don't throw a valuable relationship, friendship away with somebody without putting the effort in. Sometimes our friendships take work. And if you walk away without speaking your mind, then you'll just likely find yourself in a similar situation with another person. 
it's encouraged really that you understand your friendships because not all friends serve the same purpose in your life. You know, you may have friends that you play sports with or go to the movie with or go for dinner with. But not every friend will provide everything that you need. One friend might challenge you intellectually, yet another would provide emotional support when things are difficult. But both you and your friend can get the most out of your friendships when you understand the function that the relationship fulfills. So strive for quality, not quantity. You know, it's hard enough to keep up with one or two friends, but when you've got dozens of best friends, staying close can be really challenging. And studies show that, you know, you get more benefit from a few close friends than you do from many casual ones. So consider, think about it. Which of your friendships really fulfills you the most? And put special care into keeping those relationships alive. And just let the casual acquaintances just be that. Just let them be casual. Some would say that there's good merit in treasuring the old, that long-standing friendships are something that sometimes people think they're the most beneficial. You know, who else can give you those parenting tips, you know, and tell you that, remind you of that same kind of problem you had with your mother, the one that you're having with your child. You know, there's some, often people find it comforting to have history with people. And you have to admit, after lasting for so long, you know, friendships will be more resilient when problems arise and they can move through them. As we all know, there are friendships that come and go, and so when you have one that really withstands the test of time, it's certainly worth hanging on to. And certainly making time, making time in a busy life is important. You know, your friends keep you real, some of your friends keep you sane, and some remind you of the good times and the bad times. Some of your friends just really remind you the truth of who you are and the deepest sense of the meaning. There's never going to be enough hours in the day to do all the things that you need to do. But time for friends is something that, for some of us, we may need to pencil in. And then you'll have the opportunity to discuss the things that you never get around to. You know, we need that compassionate pal who can relate to relate to your challenges and also relate to your triumphs. And, you know, there's all different types of relationships. And I thought maybe we'd go through some of the uh, some of the meanings of some of these terms just to get us on the same page. As an example, an acquaintance is not a true friend. It's not really for sharing of emotional ties. Like the coworker, you may enjoy eating lunch with them or having a coffee break, but you'd never look for them for emotional support. Now, a closer best friend, on the other hand, you know, is that person that you share extremely strong interpersonal ties with. And there's this expression, the Boston marriage, which is an old-fashioned American term that was used in the 19th and 20th centuries to describe really two women who lived together in the same household without male support. 
and the relationships were not necessarily sexual, but it was used to suppress fears of lesbians after World War One. And then there's the friends with benefits. You know, the sexual or near-sexual emotional relationship between two people who don't expect to or demand to share any formal romantic relationship or even make a long-term commitment. Yet within this type of situation, there can be really a wide range of the kinds of intimacy that's shared and the kinds of needs that are being met by one or both of the friends involved. And the term romantic friendship, this refers to very close but non-sexual relationships. And at times there are physical relationships between friends, often involving a degree of physical closeness beyond that which is common in modern Western societies. And this may include, in these romantic relationships, it may include things like holding hands or cuddling or kissing or even sharing a bed. And then there's those internet relationships. We all have some of those. Some of these internet friendships involve real-life relationships, real-life friendships. Some of them are similar to being like having a pen pal. And those types are more based on the thought that you're never really going to meet in real life. They know each other from who they are instead of, you know, the masks that sometimes happens when people are in more social kinds of situations. And then there's the frenemy. Frenemy, which is a combination of the word friend and enemy. The term frenemy really refers to someone who pretends to be a friend, but is actually an enemy, like the proverbial wolf in sheep's clothing in the world of friendship. This is also known as the love-hate relationship. Now, most people have encountered a frenemy at one time or another, and find these people really in the same places that you make other friends at school or work or in the neighborhood or groups or common things you're involved in. The term, actually, frenemy was created by a sister of an author and journalist, Jessica Mitford, in 1977. And it was popularized more than 20 years later on the third season of Sex in the City. Now, most research on friendships and health has focused on the positive aspects of relationships between two people. But frenemy, a frenemy is, is really a potential source of irritation and stress. One study found that unpredictable love-hate relationships characterized by the fluctuation, it can lead really to evolution increases in blood pressure, and in some studies, the same research found that blood pressure is higher around friends for whom one has mixed feelings than it is really for people whom you clearly dislike. So, frenemy, frenemy. And I found a couple of uh, 
beautiful quotes the last couple of days on on Facebook from some of my favorite people. And one of them says that once we have realized our own pain, our heart feels a natural compassion and understanding of others' pain. And that's a quote from Brandon Bays, who's the um, developer of a program called The Journey. And here's another one. It says, what peace can we hope to find elsewhere if we have none within us? What peace can we hope to find elsewhere if we have none within us? And that's from St. Teresa of Avila. When another person makes you suffer, it is because they are suffering deeply within themselves and the suffering is spilling over. They don't need punishment. They need help. And that's from Takna Han. You know, arguments are a given in any relationship. And it's really how you handle the conflict that counts. And here's some suggested ways that you can navigate through disputes. Healthy ways that are geared towards producing a win-win for both of the people that are involved. And one suggestion is really to give yourself a time out before reacting. You know, take a minute to reflect and gather your thoughts. If you feel yourself boiling, boiling, boiling over, you know, just step away. You know, take a walk, go for a run. Tell your friend you'll get back to them later. This will give you time to process your thoughts before you try to resolve the conflict. And skipping the insults is really a good idea because you're never going to convince anybody to see your point of view with an insult. Instead, Tell your friend how the situation made you feel and then give them a chance to express themselves. And really be aware of that uh, body language. You know, when people are rolling their eyes or clenching their jaw or shaking their head, because these things can really speak louder than anything that you would really say. It's always a good idea to really stick to the dispute that you're in the middle of. You know, by focusing just on one issue, you can spend your energy on listening to and understanding the other person's perspective instead of getting defensive and bringing up past hurts. And you can forget about keeping score because it's not really important who wins in an argument. It's more important to focus on discussing how and why it is that you think differently than your friend. And then, of course, there's always, you know, don't make a mountain out of a molehill kind of thing. Or in this day and age, we would say don't supersize it. You know, when you exaggerate the importance of one incident, you can lose clarity and direction. If you're always picking fights over little things then it'll be hard to get people to listen when more significant issues arise. 
want to take responsibility for your anger. Don't blame someone else for your short fuse. You want to pay attention to what sparks your anger. Self-awareness is really important in our friendships and in our relationships. So that you can identify what your triggers are. What are the things that kind of get you going? You know, sometimes it's just that when you're working under a deadline or you have a big life event going on, that you're not going to be as patient and you're going to be more likely to um, get irritated by little things just because you are feeling stressed and under pressure. So be mindful of that and take responsibility for your anger. Another good idea is to write it down. You know, journal writing can probably actually <laughs> saved a lot of friendships and a lot of relationships that maybe we aren't even aware of, <laughs> but it can be true. So writing in a journal, it's a great way for you to sort through your thoughts before really confronting a person that you're angry with. It's also, you know, a safe place. You can kind of let out all your frustrations and go wild and be ridiculous and really, you know, Share your character assassinations with your journal. It's um, a much healthier thing for you and also for the person that you're in relationship with. And just some suggestions or strategies of how you can navigate through, you know, some of those uh, difficult things that come up in our friendships and in our relationships, whatever the nature is of the friendship or the relationship. And there's something here that uh, from Shirley MacLaine that says, fear makes strangers of people who would be friends. And I'm sure that throughout a, a whole lifetime, um, we experience that from time to time. You know, relationships can be tough. You know, friendships can be tough. And sometimes you don't feel like you don't know what to do. And uh, sometimes people have this sort of fear of losing their mind or really losing themselves in a, a, a friendship or relationship that's challenging. But sometimes spirit gives us an intense relationship so we can learn a lot really in a short amount of time. And sometimes Going through that learning cycle is really preparing us for our own experience in the future and for other relationships that are coming, other friendships that are on their way. So what's the lessons have been learned and the stress and the pain has cleared in these more challenging experiences? Then it's time to celebrate. Always remember to celebrate. You know, celebrate all you've learned and celebrate your success. Because really, there's no failure when it comes to relationships if you've learned the lessons. And then I found this quote, actually, um, yesterday. It says, a real friend cares like a mom, scolds like a dad, teases like a sister, irritates like a brother, and loves more than a lover. 
And that's from the Positive Inspirational Quotes on Facebook. And Eckhart Tolle tells us that relationships do not cause pain and unhappiness. They bring out the pain and unhappiness that is already inside of you. So it's good to be mindful of that. And then a new friend, just on the horizon for myself, kind of paraphrase something. It says, communication is the most important aspect of any type of relationship. Two people with good communication can talk about everything or talk about nothing. They can even sit in the silence together. The level of intimacy that you can be shared, really, depends entirely on the openness and the quality of the communication in the relationship. You know, Facebook has this saying, too. They say that some people can stay in your heart forever, but not in your life. So if we are patient and actually use our communication skills, sometimes we can make a difference in those types of relationships. And Byron Katie says that until you are loyal to yourself, you cannot be loyal to another person. And I had a friend tell me, really, yesterday that our plans are valid for a hundred years. So I like that approach. That sounds good to me. And you know, sometimes when you find yourself in a little bit of a scuffle with your friend, you can just say, you know what, honey, we don't need to uh, do it this way. And sometimes that's enough to just prompt them to look at things differently and move back into that openness and the good connection that you have. So I really appreciate you listening to Come Back to Your Senses Radio. It's always a pleasure to share the teaching with you. And I am your ever grateful host, Leah Brenda Smith. And until next time, I welcome you to relax and enjoy your life. We hope you've enjoyed our program today and perhaps have found some new techniques that you can apply to your daily life. Thank you for tuning in to Come Back to Your Senses Radio. Please join Leah Brenda Smith again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you next week. Thank you.